And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. You lost your magic. They knocked you off your game. Your Carlness went right out the window. What's with this Carlness? It's not even a, a real word. It's a conjunction, a preposition. It's a philosophy, a way of life. It's your name with miss attached to it. Bob, listen to me. If you'd have done what I asked you to and come in my dressing room before the show, you'd have known that you weren't supposed to come out here until I introduced you. Jack, I tried to get into your dressing room, but I didn't have a nickel. I understand you're pretty funny as a DJ. And comedy is a kind of hobby of mine. Well, well, actually, it's a little more than just a hobby. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really? Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Money Dollar. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time, it's the premiere episode of Call the Police, starring Joseph Julian from 1947. Then Ann Southern stars as underemployed entertainer Maisie Revere in part one of a comedy installment of The Adventures of Maisie from 1950. But first, let me say hello to my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? What's up, Carl? Good to see you, Thank Dimply. Thank you, you too. And Mike Costello is here as well. Hello. We have the whole team here. And we're going to start things off by playing the premiere episode of Call the Police. Now, this was a police show. Joseph Julian and later George Petrie starred as Bill Grant, a former Marine whose father was a policeman killed in the line of duty. Grant joins the FBI in the hopes of cleaning up the city. Others in the cast, Joan Tompkins and Amesie Strickland as Grant's girlfriend, Libby Tyler. Grant's assistant, Sergeant Maggio, was played by Robert Dryden. It was sponsored by Lever Brothers and Lifebuoy Soap, and it was heard on NBC and CBS. All right, here's the very first episode in the series. It's called The Porter Case. It's from June 3, 1947, and it stars Joseph Julian. Here's part one of Call the Police. Rinzo presents Call the Police. Homicide Department, flying squad detail, murder suspect in your zone, close in according to instructions. Between you and the evil outside the law, between you and the housebreaker, the kidnapper, the murderer, stands the policeman of your community. He gives up his sleep that you may sleep unafraid. He gives up his safety that you may be safe. And if need be, he gives up his very life. To protect yours. The Lever Brothers Company, makers of Triple Action Rinso, bring you Call the Police, a new series of realistic radio dramas inspired by the courageous work of police departments all over America. This is Police Commissioner Bill Grant. In the files of the Ashland Police Headquarters are thousands of different case histories. The one I just came across is listed as number 36-99. I remember that as the Porter case. That all started in a little place just outside of the city. A dog kennel run by a man named Porter. One rainy spring morning, a 1932 Packard touring car drove up to the Porter house, and two men got out. Morning. Porter? Yes, I'm Mr. Porter. The name's Bliss. This is Mr. Langford. How do you do, Mr. Bliss? Mr. Langford. Nice little place you got here, Porter. 
I'll raise the finest dogs in this county. That's so? As a matter of fact, we uh, just got a new litter of Airedales. Uh, make you a good price. Funny coincidence, Porter. We got a little information, and we're going to make you a good price. What are you talking about? $50,000. And you better grab it at the price, pal. The kind of stuff we're marketing can jump 10000 bucks overnight. Now, what are you trying to sell me? Like I said, information. Nothing I want to know that's worth $50,000. Yeah, but there's something we don't think you'd want other people to know. Is this a joke? I doubt if your wife would see it that way. What's my wife got to do with this? Plenty, Mr. Porter. Plenty. Uh, this is some kind of lousy blackmail oh, Mr. racket. Mr. Porter, please. Look, Porter. Langford and me are registered at the Rex Hotel. And we ain't going to breathe a word to a soul if you drop in on us before midnight tonight. With, uh, fifty grand. I haven't got that kind of money, and if I did have, you wouldn't get it. Your wife's got $50,000 in her own name. And don't kid yourself that we ain't going to get it. As I got the story from Porter, he didn't know how to broach the subject to his wife. It wasn't until he finished his third cup of coffee that he worked up enough courage to say, Ginny. Yes, dear? I've never asked you any questions about your past. No, Eric. We've had kind of a silent agreement to let bygones be bygones. But I, I have to ask you now. What do, what do you want to know? Do the names Langford and Bliss mean anything to you? Bliss? Langford? No, Eric. Are you sure? What do you mean, am I sure? Now, please, Jenny, I, I've never asked about your past until now, but Bliss and Langford are forcing my hand. How? They want money. Lots of money. Every cent you have in the bank. A what? Blackmail. Well, Jenny. All right, Eric. I've, I've been in jail. I didn't tell you about it before because I never dreamed you'd have to find out. I, I moved to another town and changed my name. Then how could they have found you here? There's a photograph of me in the police lineup. I've tried for years to get hold of it, but I couldn't. So that's what Bliss and Langford are trying to sell for $50,000. Jeannie, I know where they're stopping. I'll give them a chance to listen to reason. People like that never listen to reason. Then I'll take matters in my own hands. Shh. It, huh? Yes, Mildred? Uh, Miss Porter, I want to get the breakfast dishes. I hope the cream wasn't sour, Miss Porter, but that milkman never comes when he's supposed to. How long have you been standing in that door, Mildred? Just for a second, Mrs. Porter. You heard what we were saying, didn't you, Mildred? No, Mr. Porter. You sure? Yes, Mr. Porter. I didn't hear a single solitary word. The maid's name was Mildred Connors. She'd been in the Porter's employ for over a year. And she wasn't the kind of a girl to let grass grow under her feet. Ninety minutes later, she had persuaded Sergeant Maggio that her business was urgent, and she was in my office. And their names are Bliss and Langford, Commissioner. Uh-huh. And you heard Porter say that he was going to kill them, is that it? Not in so many words, but that's what he meant. Well, what did he say, Miss Connors? He said, uh, he said that if they wouldn't listen to reason, he'd, uh, uh... Oh, yes, he said he'd take matters in his own hands. Uh-huh. I see. Well, it scared me to death. When I walked into the room, I started talking about something else right away. And when they asked me what I'd heard, I said I hadn't heard a thing. Why? It's dangerous to know too much. Mm -hmm. All right, just keep this to yourself, Miss Connors, and I'll get in touch with you. You can depend on me, Commissioner. I came right straight here. I thought it was the safest thing to do. Mm -hmm. Oh, Miss Connors. Yes? 
The safest thing is not to listen outside of doors. Why, why, I'll I... get in touch with you, Miss Connors. <laughs> you bust me, Commissioner? Uh, yes, Mary Jo. I want you to give every hotel in town a check. Uh, what name? Two of them. Bliss and Langford. Bliss and Langford. Okay. Say, she wasn't bad, huh? Huh? Who? A dame that just came out of here. You mean you didn't notice her? Would you believe it? I didn't. Oh, ease up, Commissioner. Ease up. I'll ease up, Maggio, when I've learned all the tricks of this police commissioner job they just handed me. Could be better than the Marines, eh, Commissioner? Maybe it was nicer when we were stuck on Saipan with nothing to do but drink sake and duck cap mortars. I don't know, Maggio. It's a tough routine. But on the other hand, it has its satisfactions. Oh, that reminds me. One of the satisfactions is waiting outside. Who? That beautiful little thing that works down in the criminal psychology department. Oh, Libby Tyler? Who else? Tell her to come in. Okay. I'll check on Bliss and Langford. You can come in, Miss Tyler. Thanks, Sergeant. Well, morning, Commissioner. Hiya, Libby. Sit down. Thanks. How are things in the criminal psychology department? Good enough for me to tell you that she's an overt hysteric. Who is? The girl who just walked out of here. What exactly does that mean, an overt hysteric? Among other things, it means I wouldn't trust a word she says. Well, she just said a lot of words, Libby. She told me that Eric Porter had threatened to kill a couple of men who were trying to blackmail his wife. I bought my spaniel puppy from Mr. and Mrs. Porter, and I can tell you right now that neither one of them is psychologically equipped for murder. But Libby... As a matter of fact, I wouldn't be surprised if you found that the blackmailers she told you about are totally non-existent. Oh, excuse me, Miss Tyler. I've located a Ralph Langford registered at the Rex Hotel, Commissioner. Oh, yeah? Room uh, 809. Thanks, Sarge. Well, Libby, how would you like to come along with me and have a look at a totally non-existent blackmailer in the flesh? When Libby and I got to the Rex Hotel, we checked at the desk and found Langford was in. We walked up two flights and knocked. Langford! Langford, open up! I want to talk to you. Try the knob. It's open. Come on, let's go in. Well, there he is, Bill. Yeah, having himself a card game. Sorry to interrupt your solitaire, Mr. Lankford. Look, he's got the ace of diamonds in his hand and the king's open. He's missing a big chance. He's going to keep right on missing it. What? Take a look at his face, Libby. Mr. Lankford is dead. The man sat there with a dazed grin of pain on his face. When I touched him... Toppled sideways out of the chair. There was a powder-burned bullet hole right under his left ear. Oh, Bill, how awful. You know, Libby, the maid told me a straight story. What are you looking for? Letters, photographs. Mildred Connor said Langford was blackmailing Mrs. Porter. I didn't get a line on whatever it was he was holding over her head. Wouldn't the murderer have taken it, Bill? Maybe he couldn't find it. Where could it be? In the desk here... Girl, maybe in the suitcase. There's a closet right by the bed. I'll take a look in there. You know, Dr. Holtzfein, the Viennese psychologist, says that the personality of settled people like the Porters is simply not compatible with murder. You better write Dr. Holtzfein and tell him to think it over, Libby. What do you mean? Look who's here in the closet. Libby's jaw dropped a foot when she saw Mrs. Porter step out of the closet. Naturally, Mrs. Porter protested her innocence to the housetops, but we took her in anyway. Twenty minutes later at headquarters. Yes, Commissioner? Maggio, I don't want to be interrupted until I buzz you back. Okay, Commissioner. Now then, Mrs. Porter, let's have it. 
I've told you, Commissioner Grant, I've told you twice, just the way it was. You walked into Lankford's room at the Rex and found him sitting there dead. Is that it? You've got to believe me. And then you heard Miss Tyler and me at the door and you ran into the closet. Why? I, I knew I'd look guilty being there. Mrs. Porter, I'm afraid you've got a servant problem. Servant problem? What do you mean? I've had the same maid for over a year. Mm-hmm. Her name's Mildred Connors, isn't it? How did you know that? Look, Mrs. Porter, Langford was murdered around 11 o'clock this morning. A few minutes before 11, Mildred Connors walked into this office and told me that you and your husband were discussing the fact that two men, Langford and Bliss, were trying to squeeze you for blackmail. She, she told you that? And she specifically heard your husband say that if the blackmailers didn't listen to reason, he'd take matters into his own hands. No. Is it possible, Mrs. Porter, that your husband got to the wrecks before you did? That you found Langford dead because your husband killed him? No. No, it's not possible. Why not? Because I killed him. You want to sign that? Yes. What did you do with the gun? I threw it out the window. Into the courtyard of the wrecks? That's right. Yes? Radio speaking, Commissioner. Somebody here to I speak. said I didn't want to be interrupted. It's Mr. Porter. Well, tell him to wait. I just got a confession out of his wife. You're kidding. Why? I just got a confession out of him. What? He says he killed Langford. Commissioner Grant. Eric. What are you doing here? I walked into Langford's room at five minutes after 11 this morning, Commissioner. No, you mustn't believe him. It's no use, Ginny. I did it. He's lying. I did it, I tell you. Commissioner, I insist that you release my wife at once. No, I won't listen. Take it easy, Mrs. Porter. Take it easy now. Nobody is guilty yet. We just have to hold somebody for the record. And it might as well be your husband. Take him, Maggio. Eat your lunch, Bill. I'm hungry. Too much breakfast? Too many confessions. Oh. It's hard to know which one of them is telling the truth. I don't know. Have you thought that maybe neither one of them is? Yeah. So we found Mrs. Porter on the scene of the crime. And you let her go? Not far, Libby. Is she being followed? Naturally. Besides, I can't be too definite about any of this until we find the murder weapon. Any idea where it can be? Mrs. Porter says she threw it out of the window of Blankford's room. So? Well, Mad Joe's detailed a few of the boys to have a look for themselves. And if they find the gun? We let Porter go, wrap up his wife for murder. Hey, Commissioner. Oh, Mad Joe, have a cup of coffee? No, but I could use a bottle of aspirin. What's the matter? I just heard from the boys. Yeah? There's a closed courtyard at the Rex, Commissioner. There's an iron door that hasn't been opened since six this morning. Anything thrown into that court from six on would have to still be there. Well? The boys went over every inch of it. No gun? No gun. And that's it. That's what, Bill? Mrs. Porter was lying to shield her husband. And you think he murdered Langford? I think he probably loves his wife, Libby. I think that he probably figured that she would kill Langford if he didn't beat her to it. Is this the go-ahead, Commissioner? Yeah. We'll get back to the office and indict Porter for murder. Hello, Miguelesco's lunchroom. Just a minute. It's for you, Commissioner. Oh, okay, Mike. Thanks. Hello. This is Mrs. Porter. Yes? I want you to release my husband at once, Commissioner. We've been all over this before, Mrs. Porter. Yes, but we haven't been over this. What time was Langford murdered? Sometime between 10.30 and a little after 11. It couldn't have been later or earlier. Only by a few minutes, one way or the other. Good. I want you to call Judge Hartley in the Chamber of Commerce building. Why? Because he'll tell you that my husband was there with him from 9 o'clock this morning until noon. Well, Maggio? Uh, I just let Porter go. 
The alibi check? Tight as a new pair of shoes. First Mrs. Porter's guilty, then Mr. Porter's guilty. And all of a sudden, neither one of them's guilty, and we're holding nobody. Stop pacing. Uh, it's a wonder I ain't out cutting paper dolls. I'm going outside where I can pace in peace. I know just how he feels. I don't. What do you mean? I'm not surprised at all. Oh, Libby. Face the facts, Bill. No two people who try to confess to a crime in order to protect each other are very likely murder suspects. Well, whom should we suspect, Libby? The city council? We should suspect the only one true criminal type left in the picture. You mean Bliss? Yes. Langford's pal. Nobody thinks of him. I've had a squad out looking for Bliss since 11.30 this morning, Libby. Oh. Whoa, I was wondering why... Yes. Maggio, guess who's here, Commissioner? Who? Bliss. Who brought him in? Nobody. He came in on his own steam. Send him in. Looks like we have a caller, Libby. Commissioner? Bliss? Yeah, I want to see you. I've been wanting to see you. As I understand it, you drove into the Porter Kennels this morning with a $50,000 blackmail proposition. Is that right? Langford talked me into it. He said it was going to be easy money. Didn't turn out to be so easy for him, did it? You can say that again. And you're afraid you'll be next? That's the idea. What do you want me to do about it? I got the evidence we was going to use to blackmail the Porters over in my room. You're willing to let it go for less than $50,000? i am willing to let it go for nothing. I want to turn it over to you fast so you can tell the killer, whoever it is, that I'm out of business. Okay, Mr. Bliss. It's a deal. This is my room here, Commissioner. It's dark. Oh, it's on a two-by-four air shaft, lady. Come on, Matt, Joe. Hey, how about some lights, huh? Wait till I strike a match. I ain't been here long enough to find the switch by hand. The slugs cut Bliss down so fast the match in his fingers was still lit when he hit the floor. I grabbed for the light switch, but before I could get it, the killer was out of the window. And Maggio was after him down the fire escape. Libby found the switch, and together we bent over the body. Who could have done it, Bill? Somebody we know, Libby, looking for something they don't want anybody else to see. The blackmail evidence. What else? You think they took it? Maybe they took it, and maybe they burned it. What do you mean, Bill? The ashes in this fireplace are still warm. Notice? Oh. Um, empty that pitcher into the washstand, will you? Why? Go on, go on. Okay. Now give it to me. Thanks. Anything else I can do? Yes. You can help me see to it that Bliss's death doesn't break print for 24 hours. Why? Reasons. Oh. Are there reasons for you to be putting those ashes into that pitcher, Bill? Mm-hmm. I want to take them back to the laboratory for the boys to play with. How much can they tell you? I don't know exactly. But I'll have the report tomorrow morning. I didn't see Maggio until the next day. Whoever went out of that window at Bliss's place had led him a wild goose chase that landed him nowhere. When he walked into my office, he looked a little worn. Oh, Commissioner, this thing's got me punch drunk. Is that so? Yeah, what are you feeling so good about? What's this stuff in the box here? Ashes. Ashes? Yes, Sergeant, ashes. Looks like whoever murdered our two blackmailers burned the evidence in the fireplace at Bliss's just before we walked in yesterday. Uh, and then we're through. Unless they're copies of that evidence. Well, you think they are? I don't know. But the other side doesn't know either. Maggio, give me that pad. Yeah. What are you writing? An item for the personal column. 
Here we are. Notice. Mr. Bliss, your photostats are ready. Put that in the noon edition. Oh, I get it. You figured they'll come looking for the photostats. Why shouldn't they? After two murders, they wouldn't want any loose copies kicking around. But this ad ain't got no address, Commissioner. What about it? Well, there's a half a dozen places in town to make photostats. Whoever is sufficiently interested, Maggio, will make all the rounds. Oh, and all we gotta do is be in half a dozen places at once, huh? No, we'll just pick one of the half dozen places and wait. Old man Schmidt, for instance, he's got a nice back room over at his photostatic service. And he's also sharp enough to understand an angle. I see. So I'll tell you what. I'll meet you there at 12.30. And Maggio, bring along a deck of cards. That's the first portion of Call the Police. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, Carl Amari here. During the month of March, log on to ClassicRadioStore.com and digitally download Boston Blackie Volume 1 featuring 12 detective adventures. Boston Blackie Volume 1 is regularly priced at $19.99, but is yours for half price, only $9.99 via digital download this month only. Also on sale during March is X-1 Volume 1 featuring 12 stories by some of the greatest writers in science fiction. X-1 Volume 1 is regularly priced at $19.99, but is yours for half price, only $9.99 via digital download this month only. In April, these two collections will go back to full price, so don't miss them while they're on sale during March. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com to order. And while you're there, download an episode of Suspense starring Cary Grant absolutely free as our gift to you. That's ClassicRadioStore.com. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Now back to Call the Police. When we got to Schmidt's photostatic shop, we primed the old man, and then we played cards. Stashed in the back room where we could have a full view of the proceedings. At 2.14, the door opened, and who walked in but Mrs. Porter? I've come for the photostats, Mr. Schmidt. Photostats? Yes. Mr. Bliss sent me. Oh, yes, Mr. Bliss. May I have them, please? Well, now, I'm afraid I can't give them to you without a note from Mr. Bliss. But you've got to... I mean, would it be all right if I could describe the content? Yes, after all, if you know what they are, Mr. Bliss has probably taken you into his confidence. It's a photograph, a police photograph of the lineup in Detroit, Michigan. There's a woman in a white dress, third from the left. I see. May I have it now, please? Uh, I'm afraid not. But you said if I could describe the content... But you haven't, my dear woman. I don't have a photo start of any such photograph. Oh. However, there are a couple of gentlemen in the back room who would like to talk to you. What? When Mrs. Porter saw us sitting in that back room, she was petrified. But when we explained the operation to her, she calmed down a little. And then, not ten minutes later, the door opened again. And in came another customer for the non-existent photostats. Ah, and you say Mr. Bliss sent you? Yes, he said I should pick him up for him. Uh-huh. Well, now, could you describe the contents? You've seen them yourself? I had to, my dear. I made the copies. Well, well, then, then you know. Uh, I, I'm the girl Mr. Porter wrote the letters to. I'm Mildred Connors. I see. And what is the nature of the letters, Miss Connors? Do I have to go into that? Well, if you want the photostats, uh, otherwise okay, I might... Okay, okay. They're love letters. 
we, Mr. Porter and I, were planning to run away together. Correct? Correct. There you are. Stay in this envelope. Thanks. And now I've got something for you. Hey, put that gun away. I can't help myself, Mr. Smith. <laughs> you made me describe the letters, and now you know too much. You, you wouldn't kill me in cold blood. I'm afraid I have to. You know as much as either Bliss or Langford knew, and I had to kill them. All right, Mr. Schmidt, back into that room. Grab her, man, hey, Joe. What is this? Let me go. No, Miss Connors, I'm afraid we're going to have to hold you what? on a charge of murder. I'm awfully proud of you, Bill. Oh, it was a walk away, Libby. But how did Mr. Schmidt know that Mrs. Porter's description of the photostats was wrong? Because Mrs. Porter was describing a photograph. And the lab report showed there was no trace of emulsion in those ashes. Oh, I see. see. Poor thing. She thought Bliss and Langford had that picture of her all the time. Sure. Her husband thought of that. He played on her guilt to make her think the blackmailers were hounding her instead of him and his Mildred. That was a great trick of his, confessing to the murder. He's a slick customer. He knew he was safe. He was certain somebody would establish that alibi of his before we went on trial. I must admit, he fooled me a little. That's okay. You're looking awfully pretty tonight, Libby. Well, thank you, sir. Anybody who's as pretty as you are, young lady, doesn't have to be right all the time. Well, thank you. Well, what do you (laughs) mean, Bill Grant? I was right from the start. You were? Of course. I I said in the first place that Mildred was an overt hysteric, which implies, psychologically, that she's capable of pulling a trigger. And you see, she committed both the murders. Whereas Mr. Porter is psychologically completely innocent. Libby, Porter is legally guilty as a, an accomplice. Oh, now, Bill, you've got to admit I'm right or... Or you'll spoil my dinner. Okay, okay, I admit it. Mildred's an obvious case. She's a very pretty girl. And very pretty girls this day and age get away with murder. Yes, sweetheart, they certainly do. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Commissioner Grant. It gives me a great deal of pleasure to present the Lever Brothers Award of Valor to an outstanding policeman and the Lever Brothers Plaque of Honor to his police department, elected by Chief Peter J. Sicardi, lifetime member of the Executive Board of the International Association of Chiefs of Police. Tonight, the Award of Valor goes to motorcycle patrolman Robert A. Barons of the Cleveland, Ohio Police Department. While on patrol duty... Barron spotted smoke and flames leaping from a neighboring house. Rushing to the scene of the fire, he attempted to enter the front door and two side entrances, but each time he was driven back by the fire. But in spite of the flames, and at the risk of his life, he finally forced entrance through the rear door, and he was able to save the lives of the entire family. To you, Patrolman Robert A. Barron, for your outstanding heroism and unselfish devotion to duty, goes $100 and this week's Lever Brothers Award of Valor. And to the entire police department of Cleveland, Ohio, under the able direction of Chief George J. Matowitz, goes the Lever Brothers' plaque of honor for their unfailing efforts in protecting the people of their community. Call the police, stars Joseph Julian as Bill Grant and Joan Tompkins as Libby. 
Be sure to be with us next Tuesday night when Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Rinso, bring you another exciting, realistic police case. Next week, The Case of the Kidnapped Killers. Tonight's script was written by Peter Barry. Music was composed and conducted by Ben Ludlow. J. Sims speaking. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. And that's Call the Police from June 3rd, 1947, with the Porter case starring Joseph Julian in the very first episode in the series. Also in the cast, Joan Tompkins, with Jay Sims doing the announcing, sponsored by Rinso, as heard on NBC. Okay, before we tune into The Adventures of Maisie, I want to remind everybody about this tremendous magazine, Remind Magazine, our main sponsor here. And look, Mike and Lisa, I have the uh, March issue, full color. Look at that. Look at all those pretty yeah, girls on the cover. cover. Yeah. If you're not subscribing to Remind Magazine, folks, you're missing out because it's a 65-page, full-color magazine all about what you love, nostalgia. It's all about movies and radio and TV, and it has crossword puzzles. Look at this. Look at Mary Lou Henner here. Isn't she beautiful? Look at that double-page spread about her and her uh, her time on Taxi and all about her uh, photographic memory. She has a photographic memory. She can... Uh, Remember things that happen all the way till birth. I don't know if it's that. Well, far maybe back, not. Maybe not all the way. It's to a birth. little dramatic. I see Wonder Woman on the yeah. back cover, which is and that's the very first issue re- of Wonder Woman magazine, and wow. they uh, made a copy of it. It's just, it's just a great magazine. All kinds of trivia qu- uh, questions and puzzles and games and crossword puzzles, and then I write an article every month uh, because I do stuff around here, Lisa. I know I do nothing. You know what, so Mike? That's the only way anything's going to get I'm done. I'm sitting there, and no it. matter how busy I. am, I write my Remind Magazine article. Well, luckily, you got to write about somebody wonderful this month. Yeah, this is all about Lucille Ball. I titled it Hollywood Loved Lucy. And I think you'll really get a kick out of it because it talks about things that you may not know about Lucille Ball and her radio career. Also, our schedule is always in Remind Magazine. And it's just a magazine you should be subscribing to. You can pick up a copy at any Walmart store and any Barnes & Noble store, but the best way is to subscribe online at their website, which is remindmagazine.com. Remindmagazine.com. You'll save about 60% off the newsstand price. You will love it. Go to remindmagazine.com. All right, it's time now for The Adventures of Maisie. This was a comedy series that starred Ann Southern as an underemployed entertainer, Maisie Revere. This was a spinoff of Southern's successful 1939 through 1947 movie series of Maisie. Maisie was a beautiful, sassy, and street-smart American working woman turned woman of the world. It began on radio in 1945. It was heard on NBC, CBS, and Mutual. We have an episode now for you from October 12th, 1950. It's called The Poetic Wrestler. Here's Ann Southern in part one of The Adventures of Maisie. Hiya, babe. Say how about a little... Ouch! Does that answer your question, buddy? The Adventures of Maisie, starring Ann Southern. You all remember Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's famous Maisie pictures. In just a moment, you'll hear Maisie in radio, starring the same glamorous star you all went to see and loved on the screen, Ann Southern. 
And now here's Ann Southern as Maisie. Yep, I'm Maisie, like the fella said, Maisie Revere. No, I'm not related to the Revere that rode to Boston on a horse. But with the kind of hard work I've been doing all my life, I'm probably related to the horse. Last week, my agent finally called me up for a job out of town. Well, as far as I'm concerned, he needn't have wasted a slug. I was supposed to be the assistant to Waldo, the mind reader. But as soon as I got out here and Waldo looked me over, it wasn't hard to read what was on his mind. Well, I didn't relish being stranded in this here town, which is so small, Rand must have put it on the map when McNally wasn't looking. And I had to get a job, so I just gave a pep talk to my feet and headed for the office of the local newspaper. And tonight's fight between Killer Flanagan and Spike McCluskey, which the Chronicle is sponsoring for the Milk Fund benefit, is a complete sellout. Uh, pardon me, mister. The I local charities to... have ignored our demands. The underprivileged babies in this town need attention. But if you don't mind, chum, this underprivileged baby can use a hunk of attention, too. Children in our town need to have milk, and we have to put our shoulders to the wheel. You ain't going to get much milk that way. You ain't going to get much milk... Now, look what you made me do, miss. Okay, so I owe you a sheet of paper. Oh, forget it. What can I do? <whistles> For you. <laughs> no hurry, chum. I'll just wait till your eyes move back into your head. All I want is a copy of your newspaper. Uh, miss, this is the office. We don't sell the papers here. Oh, well, I don't want to buy it. I just want to rummage through your help-wanted column. Oh, just borrow a copy, huh? Uh-huh. Look, lady, we're in the business of making money. Well, that's why I'd like to read the help-wanted ads. I'd like to get in that business, too. Oh. Uh-huh. How's about glancing through the want ads, handsome? Oh, <laughs> do you uh, really think I'm handsome? When I'm in a spot like this, anybody's handsome. Uh, <laughs> what say? Uh, well, miss, I'm really sorry, but this is a small town, and we don't run a help-wanted column. Oh. I'm sorry, miss. Anything else I can do? Boss, I'm stuck again. Help me out, will you? Mickey, can't you see I'm busy? Oh, pardon me. I didn't know... <whistles> Notice. Hmm. Uh, don't mind, Mickey, miss. He's my, um, cub reporter. What kind of cub? Wolf? Well, Mickey, what is it this time? Did you put somebody's name in the obituary column by mistake again? Well, if you did, just put his name in the birth column tomorrow and give him a fresh start in life. <laughs> it's, it's not that, Mr. Moody. It's the advice to the lovelorn column this time. I'm stuck on the daily Romeo and Juliet poem. Oh, fine. Okay, Shakespeare Jenkins, let's hear how far you've gotten. Here it is. To Romeo. I think of thee when I is happy... I think of thee when I is blue, and when the rain drips on my window pane. Well, go on. That's where I'm stuck. Oh. And when the rain drips on my window pane. Each drip reminds me of you. No, that won't do. Hey, I think it's great. Ah. It gives that corny romance you cooked up for the column the touch of humor it's been lacking. Hey, let's hear the rest of it. Okay. In my dreams I picture thee, thine hair so fair, thine eyes so hazel. Let's see now, hair, fair, eyes, hazel. Uh, I will make a happy bride when we, um, when we, uh... When we march down that middle hazel. Oh, brother. Hey, that's good, very good. It is? Boss, you've been working too hard. 
Well, that's better than not working at all, if you know what I mean, boss. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, why not? You need help on that advice to the Levelon column, Mickey. Oh, but, but Female boss. help. Uh, now, look, Miss, uh, Miss... Uh, and Macy uh, Revere, but you can call me Miss Bleeding Heart for short. What do you say, am I hired, boss? Look, Mr. Moody, you can't do this to me. I think... Yes, handsome. Um, what do you think? I think you ought to hire her. Good. When do I start? Right now. Uh, Maisie, have you made any plans about having lunch? Uh, no. Fine. Then you can work right straight through without any interruption. See you later. Oh. A woman hater, huh? Nah, he's married. Oh, I guess that's why. Well, Mickey, let's get to work. Sure. But first, I'll have to tell you about these Romeo and Juliet letters. You see, Maisie, the whole thing started. So, when these love letters and poems started coming from all over the country, signed Romeo, mm -hmm. I got the bright idea of printing them and writing poems and answers in the same column, signed Juliet. You mean, Mickey, that you're Juliet? You wrote all those love letters? Uh-huh. Pretty romantic, huh? I'll say. If you don't watch yourself, Mickey, the birds and bees are going to follow you around taking notes. But hey, I suppose this here Romeo finds out that the one he's madly in love with and wants to marry is you. Gosh, yeah, that would be awful. Mm. I'm already sort of engaged, you know. Oh, well, I guess there's nothing to worry about then. This Romeo must be some crackpot who's doing this for laughs anyway. I don't think so, Maisie. This last poem you wrote is so hot it could have steamed open the envelope by itself. Yeah. Across the void of space and time, I send this deep impassioned rhyme. Mine drab existence thou hast changed. We'll meet some day if the fates arrange it. Signed, Romeo. P.S. Please excuse the pencil. Gosh, that's beautiful. Do you think my, I mean, our poem to Romeo is just as good? Good. It'll make Nick Kenny turn over in his column. Just listen again, Mickey. Each night when I to bed retire, I cover up because I perspire. And dream of you, my big, strong lion. If I be thine, will thine be mine? Sincerely yours, Juliet. <sighs> Beautiful, Maisie. Beautiful. How did you learn to write poems like that? Well, when you're out on the road as much as me, you come across all those Burma shave ads, and some of it's bound to rub off on you. Well, I've got the layout for the fight all fixed and ready to go to press. Oh, good. Here's the column, Chief. Cut it in half and we'll run it. In half? To the bone. We're going to need every inch of space to publicize the Milk Fund fight tonight. If it isn't a complete sellout, there are going to be a lot of hungry kids in this town, not to mention a couple of hungry newspaper men. Yeah, Maisie. The boss himself here put up a $10,000 guarantee to get the champ, Spike McCloskey, to fight Swanigan. Gosh, you got 10000 bucks, Mr. Moody? I didn't know you was a millionaire. Uh, I'm not, Maisie. The bank loaned me the money with the newspaper security. Oh. If anything goes wrong with that fight, you can make reservations for me at the um, whorehouse. What can go wrong, boss? It's a great match. The whole town's bound to show up to watch the local boy who made good, Spike McCloskey. McCloskey? Yeah. So ain't he the fighter I just read about in the paper? Spike McCloskey, the atomic bum. Bum? That should have read atomic bomb, Mickey. Uh, sorry, boss. I guess I made a slight typographical error. Well, I hope you're wrong. Well, don't worry, boss. That McCloskey's real good. I remember reading in the paper once, 
where he fought a guy 40 pounds heavier than him and took him just like Lee took Richmond. Uh, Maisie, that's like Grant took Richmond. This was a southern paper. No, 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 Spike. Hit the bag. I said hit it, not caress it. It ain't a dame, you know. It isn't a dame, Kelly. Not ain't, you ignoramnibus. Sometimes I despair of learning you anything. Okay, ain't, isn't, isn't, ain't, so I ain't, I mean I isn't a college professor. Now you gotta be in shape, Spike. This Flanagan schmo is a palooka, but the way you've been training lately, but a second round tonight you're gonna be hearing bells. And I don't mean from St. Mary. Yeah, I don't know, Mac. My heart aches and a drowsy numbness pains my sense as though of hemlock I had drunk. Now, please, Spike, stop already with that Shakespeare. That's Keatsian, Nimskull. That's Numskull. Well, I was close. Mac, uh, where is the copy of today's chronicle? Now, look, Spike, it ain't there. Grandma, chum, grandma. Okay, okay, it isn't out yet. And you ain't got nothing to worry about. Your picture's sure to be in there. No, wait. In who is perturbed about my likeness in said publication, eh? I am consigned vitally with a certain column to wit, advice to the lovelorn, unto it. And I am trainer no longer till I read what my beloved Juliet has wrote for me. Remove off my gloves, please. Now look, Romeo, the fight's tonight, when it's all over tomorrow. Tomorrow you... and tomorrow and tomorrow. Crops and look, Spike, like enough already with that Keats stuff. Ah, that's Shakespeare. You got no culture. From uh, all the fighters in the world, I gotta pick myself one that can read. Now look, Spike, this here poetry stuff's a lot of malarkey. Hey, look, I... You just say that because you got no soul. Now me, I am lousy with soul. That perchance is why Juliet feels likewise about me. Ah, Juliet and Romeo. That is a match that is made in heaven. What about the match which is made at the stadium tonight? Look, Mac, I gotta see it. That's all there is to it. Juliet maketh my heart to yearn. Juliet maketh my heart to point. Now you got heart pain, too, huh? If only I didn't go soft and stop you from sending that face poem to that pen newspaper. Tis my fate, Mac. Find me, Juliet. I have spake. Let's take a break from Maisie. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Next time, it's the conclusion to the adventures of Maisie. Then, Frank Sinatra stars in Rocky Fortune from 1954. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then. 